You're listening to a Rua podcast created by St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm your host, Chantal Moyer. For this year's Lenten season, we decided to go back to a book we published in 2009 and offer it as an eight-episode podcast series to be released over the course of the season. The 2009 book, titled A Book for Lent, Toward What We Can Scarcely Imagine and Scarcely Refuse, was written by James Snyder, an American Lutheran pastor and a friend to St. Benedict's Table, with illustrations by Helen Lyons. The first version of these eight meditations was written in 2000 for use at St. George's Anglican Church in Halifax, Nova Scotia. With the exception of the first meditation, which was a sermon for Ash Wednesday entitled Atla, the reflections were all delivered on Good Friday 2000, based on the seven words, or the seven sayings from the cross. Jim provides material of substantial depth, delivered with a bit of grit and with a storyteller's eye to detail, all offered up in the service of the proclamation of grace. In spite of the fact that these addresses were originally delivered on the two most solemn days of the Christian year, they are not without their touches of humor. As you listen, it will become more than a little clear that Jim Snyder is rather thoroughly committed to a perspective that says that in Christ, the grace of God has overcome all else. For this series... Jamie Howison will be reading the text of these meditations. The third word, woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. Is that your boy? Is that your daughter? That's a question I hear from time to time in my line of work. Most days I'm confined to an adolescent crisis and assessment facility, but there are opportunities for me to go out into the world with one or two of the young people, and I seize the chance whenever I can. Sometimes it's a scheduled meeting or a court appearance. Sometimes we go to a coffee shop to talk things over. Sometimes they need a break to decompress. We'll drive out to Peggy's Cove and walk along the Atlantic coast. Sometimes I need a break to decompress, and I'll take someone hiking or swimming. Oddly, one of the more interesting avenues for me is to take one of these 14-year-olds to the shopping mall. These are youth in care, as they are termed, in the care of the social service agency and our care. Some of them come into our facility with nothing but the clothes on their back, and many of the others require regular clothing assistance, as all growing teenagers do. Thus, there are times when somebody has to take them shopping, and often I am that somebody. Perhaps you've seen me walking the mall or sipping coffee in the food court with a tattooed lad wearing ten pounds of metal around his neck, or a bright, cheery girl whose arms and calves are decorated with vivid razor blade slashes, or a cross-dresser wearing makeup and a white Donna Karen quilted jacket and shoulder-length dreadlocks, or with any number of less, shall we say, colorful characters whom I've had the pleasure of accompanying on these excursions. As a rule, we're quite a sight. This middle-aged Tweedy guy with a New Yorker sticking out of his jacket pocket, 
walking alongside a skater or metalhead who's elevated the anxiety level of every clerk and floor walker in the store. Of course, I secretly enjoy observing others observe us, trying and failing to make sense of this incongruous picture. But primarily, I enjoy it because it gives me a chance to understand the youth a little better. Her tastes, her principles of selection, her reasoning, her impulsiveness, her relative sense of practicality and her social skills in public, which are sometimes a few years behind her chronological age, as are mine. And although you never know what's going to happen, it's a good time. It's time well spent. We talk, we look around, we wander the mall, we have a coffee, all at a leisurely pace. We're doing something together, something normal that everyone deserves to do, but which for them may be quite rare, if not unique. And when we go back to the facility, she'll have new clothes, maybe for the first time in her life, ones that she picked out herself. And for a few moments, if not a few days, she might even be grateful and happy for that. It's not much, but it's something. Sometimes after we've selected a jacket, a pair or two of jeans, and some shirts, the clerk helping us might relax enough to ask, Is this your son? It's an innocent and normal question. She isn't sure for some reason. And of course, there's only one answer to it. But how you answer it at that moment can make a critical difference, not just in terms of the outing, but in the future of the relationship. How you answer it depends on who the youth is. It depends on his situation, his history, and his sensitivity to the stigma of being cared for by the state and his ambivalence over not presently having a family. Is that your boy? He's standing next to you and he's listening. What do you say? Sometimes I've really wanted to say, yes, yes, this is my son. For I knew the boy was hungry to hear it. Hungry to hear somebody say it, just once in his life. For he had never been anyone's son, and never would be. And I was perhaps the closest thing to a father he'd ever know. And I was hungry to make him my son, if only for a while. But no, you can't do that. It wouldn't be professional. It wouldn't be true. And it could have an adverse effect. The most I could say was, I would be lucky if he were my son. But we're just friends. Just friends. Were we even that? Or were we more than that? What constitutes a family? Father, mother, brother, sister, son, and daughter. What are they? Who are they? How do you define those terms these days? I know a kid who's got five grandmothers, but no mother. What is a family? Is it a biological configuration? Is it the people you live with, whoever they may be? Is it the people to whom you commit yourself to the fullest, and who in turn most care for you in this world? Is it the people you share life in Christ with? In varying degrees, it is all of these, of course. 
But that last definition would be the most comprehensive and abiding. Families are fluid and temporal. They're always fragmenting, breaking down, and getting rebuilt. They migrate and disperse and sometimes never reunite. They grow and decline, they evolve and devolve, and sometimes disappear altogether. Their joys are always matched, if not exceeded, by sorrow and grief. There are no births without death as the generations roll on. But when Jesus said, Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother, a new concept of family was instituted, one still new to this world. From that hour the disciple took her into his own home, and they became mother and son. They became family for no other reason than their common love for this crucified Galilean. Of course, I always knew this, but it wasn't until I set off for my first parish, 2,000 miles from home, that this sacramental understanding of family became essential to my life. I'd come from a family whom I'd left behind, and I was starting a family. But I was also part of a larger family, of all those people who shared life in Christ with me, and who showed Christ to me, and who by their faith and love made Christ real to me. Similarly, since coming to this parish, a group of complete and utter strangers became my family the moment that bread reached my mouth. Think of that. A group of complete and utter strangers, with whom I had nothing in common, whose names I didn't even know, whose language I barely spoke, became my brothers and sisters the moment that cup touched my lips. Of course you were always that. We just didn't know it yet. I moved away from Texas many years ago, but those sacramental bonds are as strong as ever and they are renewed every time I drink from that cup. Similarly, when the day comes that I move away from here, or if you should move, these bonds are not subject to the vicissitudes of time and decay, of presence and absence. Not even death can weaken them. Rather, it is death, this death on the cross, that seals these bonds for eternity. Is this your son? Yes. Is this your sister? Yes. Is this your brother? Yes. 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 That was Jamie Howison reading a Lenten reflection written by Jim Snyder. Please consult the show notes for a link to a web post on which each episode in this series will be posted as it becomes available. On that post, you will also be able to view some of Helen Lyon's artwork from the print edition of the book. The music for this series is by Steve Bell and is used with Steve's blessing and by the good graces of Signpost Music. If you would like to know more about our work or provide some support for our online ministry, please visit us at stbenedictstable.ca. I'm your host, Chantal Moyer. Thanks for listening. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, 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 oh
Sometimes it causes me to 